are jumping into the book of Jonah. I am pumped for it, and uh, it's going to be awesome. Just to, just to start, I, I, I just have to say, because Asher is still here, the amount of comments that we have gotten that Asher is now a grown man, and he has grown up so much. And, you know, it's so funny. It's really one of those things we see him every day, so we can't really conceptualize his development and his growth that much, but apparently he's a grown man. He hasn't started earning his keep around the house yet, which is a bummer, uh, but he's getting there. And, and I, as I was thinking about that, of all these people, like, man, Asher's growing up, and he's, he's so old now, and he's all of these things, uh, and it just seems to happen out of nowhere, right? He's crawling. He can stand up. He looks older, I guess. And I sort of think about that. I'm like, man, I, I hope that that is, is what happens for us in our, in our spiritual growth, uh, that, that people would begin to look at you in a different way because you begin to conduct yourself the way that you talk, the way that you live, the way that you love, the way that you interact with the people around you, that they look and say, man, there's a difference in you. Like you're growing up. You're a grown man now. Uh, that, they, that there is transformation in your life, that you are looking more and more and more like Jesus. That that's the goal of, of what we are doing here. That's why we gather together to, to worship the Lord because he's worthy of it, to open God's word, to be surrounded by his community, to encourage each other, to push each other, that it happens in this context of, of transformation. And so as we jump in into these things, I, I just want you to know, I mean, we're here, this is the first uh, week back, we're, we're 2022 now. I don't know if you guys messed that up in all of your uh, dates. I keep writing 2021 and I have to scratch it out. Uh, and, and I've just been praying uh, for our time in 2022 and, and that this would be a, a great, a, a year of just tremendous growth uh, for our ministry. Not, I don't care about numbers. I, I hope our ministry grows uh, closer together, closer to the Lord, that we would have uh, a purpose and an, an intention that people would know, that we grow in our, our missional mindset, that we would be about God's kingdom. God's, God's movement in the world, that we would be about those things, and, and then also for you individually. Man, I, I don't know if you're a New Year's resolution person, but I, I hope that you spend more time in the Word and in prayer and around God's people this year than any other year of your life so far, uh, and it'll only grow next year and the year after that and the year after that. Man, I hope this is the year that you decide, man, I'm going to go all in. Like, I'm going to Run after Jesus with all that I am. Like I'm, I'm leaving things behind. I'm going to leave this stuff behind. I used to live for this stuff and do these things. And I was kind of one foot in and one foot out. Like, man, that that would be behind you. And then you would go all in in your walk with Jesus. That's been my prayer since 2022 started. And, and I hope that that happens. I hope that comes into fruition uh, for our ministry and for you individually. And, and man, one of the means to growth that, that God has given us is his word. One of the means of growth that God has given us is his word. I have a uh, passage up here, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This is a great one to memorize. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, that you would remove those things, rid yourself of, of those practices and habits in your life. And like newborn babies, there's Asher over there crawling about. Uh, not, he's not the focus. This is the focus. <laughs> uh, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Man, that's our goal. 
that we would long for the word because that's how we grow. That's how we grow. I mean, Asher, without milk, dies. He doesn't develop anymore. He had a nine-month appointment today. He's 21 pounds, seven ounces. He's in like 79th percentile, so we're up there. We're going to the NBA. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I, I mean, there's growth, but that doesn't happen if he doesn't get the nutrients that he needs. And for us, is our spiritual growth. Like, if you just idle through life, like, if you're not pursuing the Lord, if you're not in the Word, you don't have the nutrients you need to grow. So we need the word, and that's why every single Tuesday we dive in, that we would pull it up like a mirror to our lives and reflect to see, man, am I conforming myself to God's ways? Am I doing what he has called me to do? Am I, am I acting as, as he would have me act, living as he would have me live? So, so we're going to jump into Jonah. That's in the Old Testament. It is a minor prophet. It's a smaller book. It's a little bit hard to find, okay? It's a little bit hard to find. Uh, it is after Obadiah, so that should help, right? You all know where Obadiah is. Um, so it, it's after the major prophets, so Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, those guys, you want to go there. But also, uh, once you've hit Malachi, you've gone too far. Once you've hit Matthew, you've gone too far. So just go ahead, go to the table of contents in your uh, Bible and figure out where that is because we are going to be in the book of Jonah. Now, there's a chance uh, that you have a little bit of an idea what Jonah is about. Maybe Sunday school, you got the story. Maybe in life, you got the story. Maybe you read through this one time. It'll take you seven minutes to read through that story. Maybe less. I don't know. Maybe I'm a slow reader. Uh, it, it doesn't take long, but probably the predominant thought that you have, like, what's the story of Jonah about? Say, oh, well, he got swallowed by a whale, right? That's what our video showed. And I get it. I know some of you are your Bible thumpers out there, and you're like, well, technically... It says a big fish, right? It doesn't say a whale. You're right. If you want to have that argument, if you want to debate about it, go talk to, go talk to Chad Basham, all right? He'll debate with you and <laughs> whatever it is. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I'm going to use them interchangeably, okay? Uh, it's okay. I'm, I hope you're fine with that. If you hate me, talk to Chad, like I said. Uh, but that's what we know. That's the story we think of. As, yeah, Jonah, he got swallowed by a big old fish, by a big old whale, and he was living inside of it, and then he got spit out onto dry ground, onto dry ground and then he goes to Nineveh, and it's this whole great thing, and, and that's the whole part of the story. And all you need to know is that he got swallowed by a fish and lived to tail the tale. Is that kind of a pun? You know, I'll work on that next year. Uh, so that's what we think. But if that's all you get from the story of Jonah, you're missing the point of Jonah. You are missing the purpose of it. It is so much more than that singular event. It is so much more uh, than that. And, and so as we dive in tonight... I want to give us a little bit of a background, some of the context of what's going on and why all of these things are happening. Because when we understand the context, i.e. The, the world that Jonah lives in and the people that he is around, the people of Israel, and we start to know what's going on in Israel, we're going to see why God was relaying this message as an example to them. Because there were things that were going on in Israel that were not good. And Jonah becomes an example of ultimately, their disobedience and their rebellion and, and the things that they shouldn't have been doing. So Jonah's going to be that example, and we need to see that. So we're not going to get super far into the text. We're not really going to get to the whale. I'm sorry if that disappoints you. That'll probably be next week. Uh, but we want to, to get an idea for that. 
So Jonah is a story. It's, it's written in narrative. So if you go back to your English days, right, we're, we're in a story mode. We're talking about narrative. So there's a, there's a plot to this story. There's a setting. Uh, there's a rising action. There's a conflict. It doesn't go how you want. Then there's a, there's a resolution. And then there's a new setting. All of these things begin to happen. And this story is about a prophet. A prophet is, is basically a spokesman for the Lord. That these were the guys uh, that really the Lord used all throughout Israel's history. And they would speak on behalf of God. So God would tell a guy like Jonah or Elijah or whoever it is and says, hey, I want you to go and I want you to say this to these people. That's what a prophet would do. They would be a spokesman to relay that message. They're like a mouthpiece, a physical mouthpiece uh, to relay the message to God's people wherever he would send it. And that prophet that we're talking about is Jonah. <coughs> so sorry. Uh, there are tons of scholars out there that, uh, as we call this a story, I'm going to use this as a story because I think a story can still be true, uh, but there are tons of scholars out there that will tell you, Jonah, this story is not real. That it is it, uh, fiction? Fiction is the one that's not real? Or is fiction the one that is real? Fiction is... Fiction is fake. Yeah, it, fiction is fake. Two S line up fake. Okay, uh, <laughs> fiction is fake. They'll tell you this is this this is fictional. It's not a real story at all. And and you might be like, well, why would they think it's not a real story? What happens in this story that people would say that's probably not real? It's because he was swallowed by a great big fish and lived to tell the tell the tale, right? And so a lot of these scholars would say, well, that. They immediately, when anything miraculous happens that's supernatural, that can't easily be explained, they will immediately throw it out and say, that, that can never happen. Right, so they'll say, this story isn't real. But here at DBC, we, we believe that this actually happened, that this is a real story, that the events of this really did happen. And there's a few reasons for that. Number one, all of the people, the locations, uh, and, and cities that are talked about in the book of Jonah are historically documented. Like, there's no made-up names, there's no made-up people. Like, all of these people, I mean, they're historically accurate that they actually did exist, uh, that nothing in here was just kind of thought about. It's like, oh, let's just throw all these names together uh, and, and just say it was a real story. Uh, number two, Jonah, our prophet here, is mentioned elsewhere in the Bible on two occasions. The first one comes from 2 Kings 14, verse 25. We have it up here. So this is, this is also some helpful context for us. So Jeroboam, this guy right here, this is actually Jeroboam II. Because there was a first Jeroboam, not his dad, because his dad is Joash. Uh, it, the first Jeroboam, which is his namesake, was a king in Israel that was terrible. He did a lot of evil in the sight of the Lord. He kind of set the standard for an evil king in Israel, okay? Uh, and, and this guy is his namesake, and uh, here we go, Je jo Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria. That would be their capital. There's a lot of things we could jump into, but at this time uh, in Israel's history, they had actually split into two distinct nations. One was the northern tribe of Israel, where Samaria was their capital, and then the lower tribe of Judah. And predominantly, not always, there's exceptions, but predominantly the northern kingdom was much worse on a spiritual level. 
<coughs> sorry, I'm getting over COVID. I don't have COVID, but I had it. You know how it goes, Omicron. Uh, and so they have the Northern Kingdom much worse and uh, spiritually. And then you have the Southern Kingdom of Judah. And if you were to go way deep into this, when the Lord really established the people of God, his covenant people, in the promised land, which is where they were, he gave them covenants. He gave them these conditional covenants to say, hey, if you're, if you're going to live in this land, you've got to obey me. And if you obey me, I will bless you. I will keep you. I will protect you. Uh, you will have great flourishing in this land. He says, however, if you disobey, if you rebel, if you do not do what I have called you to do, then you will not stay in this land. You're going to get kicked out and other nations that are around you, I'm not going to protect you from them anymore. And they're going to, they're going to seed you, they're going to pull you out into exile, and you're going to lose the land. Because this was the thing that I gave you to bless you. And so they know this covenant. They know Deuteronomy 28 that says, man, if we obey the Lord, we're going to be blessed. But if we disobey, we're going to be cursed. We're going to lose all of these things. And continually, all throughout the story of the Old Testament, is God's people disobeying, rebelling, and going against what he had called them to do, and then God sending prophets like Jonah to call against that, to remind them of impending judgment, of its consequences for their sin. Constantly doing this. And they would go in this cycle of, of rebellion, and then they would lose everything and the consequences of that, that they would go into subjugation, that all of these nations would begin to rule over them and pull them out of the land, and then they would cry out to the Lord because they've lost everything, and then the Lord would come and restore all of that. And they're in this constant cycle, constant cycle all throughout history, and this kind of gets to a breaking point. And we're not here yet, but Jonah's kind of the very end of this, okay? Jonah's the very end because uh, in 722 B.C., this is a big date for us, 722 B.C., Assyria, a very powerful nation, comes in and invades. They actually start in 740 B.C., so 18 years, just basically pulling everything apart in Israel. And they finally win, and they finally break through, and they pull about, I mean, hundreds, not hundreds, but thousands of, tens of thousands of Israelites, they bring them into exile and they use them as slaves and prisoners of war and all of this stuff. So 722 BC was when the northern kingdom, which Jeroboam was a king of at a certain point in time, another king was there when they, got, uh, when they lost this war, but they had this impending invasion on them. And the prophets were constantly telling them, you must repent you must repent. You must turn from your ways. Otherwise, the crap's going to hit the fan. I'm sure that's what it says in Hebrew. And, and, and so put that in the context as we go through this because you need to know it. So Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, this northern kingdom, and reigned for 41 years. A very long time, 41 years. Uh, that, those dates are likely 786 to about 746 B.C., 786 to 746. Now, in this time, time as it progresses, it goes down to zero, okay? Uh, so 786 to 746, that is the frame of reference that we have Jonah in, and here's why. He, being Jeroboam, did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not abandon all the sins of Jeroboam, the first, uh, the son of Nebat, into which he misled Israel. He restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant Jonah, 
the son of Amittai, the prophet who is from Gath-Hephar. So what you're seeing here, you see in 25, he restored the border of Israel. So at this period of time where Jonah is at, they were experiencing great military success and economic success. So things were going well on the outside, but if you look at 24, spiritually, they're going downhill and downhill and downhill into further corruption. Can that happen to a society? When they're exploding economically and militarily and they have great power, but the soul of that nation, the the spirit of that nation is, is going down into sin, into brokenness, into great evil. Yeah, that can happen in a society. And that is Jonah's home turf, that he is a prophet to these people to to challenge them, to hopefully get them to conform to God's ways. And, And that's where Jonah is speaking from, that that is a context that we have. And that is another one of the big reasons where we say this actually happened. Like the story of Jonah actually happened. Last one, number three, Jesus actually talks about Jonah and his ministry and the event that he has from Matthew 12. If you want to pull that up. (coughs) Gosh. Uh, Verse 38. So 12, 38 through 40. There's actually a little bit after this, but uh, I just want you to see this part. So some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, being Jesus, teacher, we want to see a sign from you so that we can, you know, confirm that you are the Messiah that you say you are. Verse 39, but he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves a sign, and so no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was in the stomach of the sea monster, that's maybe what we'll call it, the sea monster for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So what Jesus does here, he, he juxtaposes his death, burial, and resurrection with Jonah spending three days in the belly of a whale. Saying, this will happen to me. And there's a a chance uh, that Jesus is juxtaposing a mythological tale uh, that that didn't actually happen with his real, actual resurrection. I can't deny that, that there's a chance in those things. But but there's evidence that, that Jesus here is saying, this actually happened. That this is a real event. And at the end of the day, if you disagree with some of the details of this story and you say, man, I don't know if some of that happens, uh, and, and, and a lot of this, if you read, they will go immediately to science. You say, this is very unlikely from a science thing because, you know, the guts and all of this stuff, and they'll, and they'll talk about the, the anatomy and biology of, of large fish and whales and likelihood of oxygen and all of those things. And, and let me just say this, this was miraculous. This was a supernatural work of God to do something of that extent. That's why we believe it. I don't need to know the science to know God can do it or can't do it. But even if you don't believe the details of this or all of the things of it, this is still recorded in God's word for our growth and for us to learn from. So at the very least, man, if you say, I don't think this is real, that doesn't mean you discount it and disregard it as though God can't use it to grow us, right? That we can learn from it. So there's a lot for us to learn in this. So I'm going to jump in chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. And remember the, kind of the state of Israel uh, that we have here because Jonah is, the book of Jonah is filled with irony. 
It's filled with irony. We love ironic stuff. We love satirical humor. That's kind of our world now. And the, the way that authors will use irony, and essentially what irony is as, as it's used here, is that they will do something that you don't expect. Or you're going to expect something to go a certain way, but it actually happens in the opposite. And it's usually to an extreme degree. And what's happening here is Jonah is an example of Israel. Because Jonah's a prophet of the Lord, and if you know anything about this story, he's going to do the exact opposite of what you'd expect a prophet of the Lord to do. And the people in this story, these Gentile sailors that don't know God, that are calling on other gods, and the people of Nineveh, who are a terribly wicked people, you would not expect them to obey and respond to God, but that's exactly what they do. And so this story is filled with irony to expose the people of Israel, that just as Jonah does the exact opposite of what he should do, the people of Israel were doing the exact opposite of what they should do because they were God's covenant people. God had chosen this nation from the beginning. He says, you are mine. I am with you. And yet they were the people that were in constant disobedience. And God is using all these people as an example of obedience and saying, and you will not obey me. So let's look for the irony here that this author is building in order to expose and, and really convict his people. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, if you've read any of the prophets, you have heard this phrase, the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord has come to insert prophet. This is, this is what they consider a prophetic mandate a prophetic mandate that often the prophets were given mandates and it usually came in that exact phrase. I, I have a few up here, one from 1 Kings 17, both of these two, Elijah. Then the word of the Lord came. Have you heard that phrase before? Yeah, we just read it. Came to Elijah saying, arise, get up, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon and stay there because I have commanded a widow there to provide for you uh, food for you. Verse 10, so he arose and he went to Zarephath. The word of the Lord showed up, Elijah obeyed it. Go to the next one, 1 Kings 18. Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will provide rain on the face of the earth. Verse 2, so Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. The word of the Lord shows up, the prophet of God obeys. You see that? There's a connection there of obedience. But what happens to our guy Jonah? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish. He goes in the opposite direction. He says, oh, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go, but it's not where you want me to go. So from the jump, anyone from Israel knows this is not how it's supposed to go. This is a blip in the system. Now, Jonah, I'm going to teach you some Hebrew today. Um, you're going to love this. Uh, Jonah, we would pronounce it in Hebrew, Yonah. 
Yonah. They don't have J's, they have a Y, so like Yeshua would be Jesus. There's not a J there in Hebrew, so you'd say Yonah. You can say that, you can impress your friends. Yonah, if you were to go to Israel today, you could say Yonah, and people would be like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. They would probably say something like, Tov, good, Tov, Tov, yeah, you know, you know some Hebrew. And, and it, so it's a proper name that somebody there could still be named Yonah, but it also means dove. Jonah, Yonah, means dove. So if you were to point at a tree and say Yonah, they would be looking up and they'd be looking for a dove. That's still being used today in Israel. Now, if you know anything about the dove in uh, Judaism and in the history of Israel, it represents some things. Okay, it represents things. Number one, peace. It represents peace. When, when Jesus was baptized, so the dove descended from above. I don't know if it rhymed like that, but I did. Uh, the dove would ascend and say, the, the peace is here. Uh, and another thing that the dove would represent is sacrifice. That they would use doves, especially people that were lower uh, in the economical world, they would use doves to present sacrifices to the Lord. So as they know this name, okay, Yonah means dove, and say so this guy, his namesake is peace and sacrifice. Peace and sacrifice. And then his dad's name, he's the son of Amittai, or Amity, technically. It means truth or truthfulness. So right here, from the beginning, we see Yonah, who's supposed to represent peace and sacrifice and truthfulness. So the immediate question that we have, especially in that day, is does this man live up to his name? We don't really care about that very much in English. It's like, hey, what's your name mean? I don't know. But for them, it means so much. Their name means so much that they would carry that legacy. They would carry that namesake of peace and sacrifice and truth. But here's the deal. That is the exact opposite of what we see from Jonah. Not a man of peace, not a man of sacrifice, and not a man of truth. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, <coughs> um, in, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about why he, he did not want to go to Nineveh. Uh, the text doesn't really show us much, with the exception of that it was, it was a great city, meaning it was prominent, it was important, not talking about morality. It was talking about its, its really size and its importance. At that point in Assyrian history, uh, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. So, and this is a great city, this is a prominent city, this is the heart of Assyria. And we also know that their wickedness has come up before the Lord, that this was something that could not be ignored of how wicked this city was. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go there, to this wicked city. And Jonah says, uh-uh, I'm going to go in the opposite direction. And we'll talk about why in the coming weeks, because this is the biggest part of the story of Jonah. But what you need to know is that it wasn't fear. Fear was not Jonah's problem. Jonah's problem was justice and compassion. It was justice and compassion for a wicked people, which, by the way, just to put this in context, 
It's these people of Assyria that about 50 years later would invade the northern kingdom of Israel and destroy it, wipe it out, and pull all of their people into captivity. And God says, I want you to go there and preach the gospel and forgiveness. That's where I want you to go. So we're learning about the heart of God as we jump into Jonah. But what I want you to see is, is what happens when Jonah goes in the opposite direction. Verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So uh, Tarshish, or Tarshish, it's easier to say, Tarshish is in Spain. This would be modern-day Spain, kind of on the Strait of Gibraltar, uh, which geographically is the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. Are you surprised? I'm not surprised. It goes the exact opposite direction. That, at this point in time, was as far west as they knew existed. I mean, this man is like, not only am I not going to go to Nineveh, I am going to go as far this way as I can possibly go. I mean, that's disobedience, okay? That's like, no, no, no. I do not want to do what God is calling me to do. He goes in the exact opposite direction of God's call for his life. He goes in the exact opposite direction. And look at some of the wording here that the author uses. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So anytime in Scripture when something is, is used twice, when they re repeat a phrase and they're kind of putting those things right next to each other, pay attention. Because in Scripture, especially in narrative, the author is always doing something with what they're saying. The author is always doing something with what they are saying. They're trying to emphasize something to you literarily with the point that they're trying to make spiritually. And so he's saying, ding, 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 don't miss this. As Jonah is going away from the presence of the Lord, he is going down. And he is going down. What the author is trying to see Tell, get us to see is that disobeying God leads to a downward spiral. He's saying, this is not going to go well for you. It's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse. That it leads to a downward spiral. And it's not just those two times that, that he goes down. He's gonna go, well, one, he's going to go down to Joppa, and then he's going to go, <coughs> I feel like I have to cough. It's just tickling my throat. It's the worst. But he goes down to Joppa, and then he buys a ticket, and he goes down into the boat. And then later, Jonah is going to get tossed down into the ocean, and then he's going to go down into the belly of a whale. And this author is just saying, hey, notice the progression that's happening here. Because you're going away from the Lord. You're going away from his call on your life, and it's leading you down. And we talk about growth, man. We, I, mean, we want, I want this to be a year of, of growth for you. And I can just tell you, spiritually mature people obey the Lord no matter the difficulty. They trust God and they walk in obedience no matter the difficulty. Because I, mean, I don't want to dog on Jonah immediately, like, oh, this, is, this guy just stinks. 
right? This guy just stinks. Because if we're honest, we all have tickets in our pocket from a boat we shouldn't have been on, right? We've all gone places we shouldn't have gone. We've all done things that we shouldn't have done. And, 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 and we have these little tickets of remembrance like Jonah. I mean, Jonah's got this soggy ticket that was supposed to take him to Joppa. And if anybody asks him, hey, what is that ticket? It's like, well, there's a, a boat to Joppa. And so how was Joppa? He said, never made it. <laughs> so why is that? I disobeyed the Lord and he had other plans. We all have tickets of remembrance. So man, I shouldn't have gone there. I shouldn't have jumped into this. I shouldn't have gone this way. I stepped in this. And then one of the best things that we can do is, is to tell that story to others, to remind them and say, hey, I've, I've stepped there. I've gone there. Don't take that road. Don't take that road. No matter the difficulty, we need to follow God's commands that we run towards the Lord and not away from him. Man, that's where growth is going to happen for you. That as you read God's word, as you see what he has called us to do, that you would run towards those commands. And, and, and as I talk about this, I know some of you are like, but how am I supposed to know exactly what God's calling me to do? Like, am I supposed to work at Wendy's or Whataburger? I don't know. Uh, what am I, like, there's all these things. Like, who am I supposed to marry? Is it supposed to be this person or is it supposed to be this person? And we look into the future and like, am I supposed to go there? Am I do I take that job or do I take that job? And we're looking at this life and we're trying to figure out all these things. It's like, what is the Lord's will? What is the Lord's will? What is the Lord's will? If I can just help in this, and Tom talked about it on Sunday as well, and there's left and right decisions, and then there's right and wrong decisions. And left and right is, is when God's word doesn't speak into that situation, right? Wendy's or Whataburger, probably Whataburger, that would be my guess, but, but if God's word isn't telling us in that, Chick-fil-A, okay, Chick-fil-A is the actual answer, it's the Lord's chicken. Uh, so, but he, he doesn't give us clear lines to run, and now we have principles, right? There's principles that he gives us that we can kind of guide our decisions and we can check our motives because there's things like you might be selfish. You might be selfishly working at Whataburger. You probably are. I don't know. And, and, and so it's like, okay, well, I sh probably shouldn't move in the direction of selfishness. And we can use these principles to guide us. But when we see that we're in the parameters of God's word, we have a left or right decision, choose what you want. Right? Work at either one of those places that there are things that are a mystery to us before we live them. Right? Like, how do you know this person's the one? Like, when you say, I do at the altar, that's confirmation, okay? That's the confirmation. That's when you know that's the one. And up to that point, you try not to be an idiot. You try to do it God's way. You use his, the community that you have around you, and then you choose and say, I want to be with this person because I believe God's in it. And you choose joyfully in the lines, left or right. But I think in a big way, when we're talking about growth and, and walking in God's commands, we're talking about what God has revealed to us in his word. We're talking about what God has revealed. It's like, I know lying is wrong. I know stealing is wrong. I know telling those white lies. I know malice and deceit and hypocrisy and slander and anger and lust. Like all of those things that God has made clear in his word we got to walk towards the Lord. we got to walk in his commands. That there are things that are going to be a secret to us in this life until we live it. But the things that God has made known, and we got to be sure that we walk in those. Because a life that's growing spiritually is a life that's moving towards the Lord and what he's called us to, and not away from it. It's a life that's growing spiritually. 
So he goes to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He goes down to Joppa, and he found a ship which was going to Tarshish that paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. It's going on a downward spiral. And can I just tell you something about life and something about the enemy that we have in this world? In the hard decisions of obedience to God, there's always an easy way out. There's easy ways out. In fact, the easy way is the most prominent way, and it's the one that we want to take more than the other one. It's easy to tell that white lie because you could just avoid the awkward confrontation. It's easy to tell that lie to hide the truth or whatever it is uh, because, because you just don't like that person. You don't want to have to deal with it. It's easier to gossip. It's, it's easier to take this road downhill. It's faster in this downward spiral than it is the hard road of, of obedience. And the enemy is so effective to give us that easy way out. There's always a boat at Joppa in this life. And everything that God's going to call you to do, there's always an easy way out. The enemy is sure to have a boat at Joppa for you. Say, hey, there's a boat right there. You just get on that boat, problem's gone. You just get out on that boat, you don't have to worry anymore. You're, you're, you're free. You're free, don't worry about it. Just get on the boat. Just take the easy way out. Can you just imagine Jonah when he's on that boat? And he's kind of finally out of there and, and they're going. It actually says he goes down to the bottom of the boat and he sleeps. He sleeps. Because usually people from running from God are spiritually exhausted. They're physically exhausted. Because it just weighs on your spirit, just weighs on you. It's eating your thoughts alive. You're just worn out. Because you know the right way but you know the road you're taking. He's exhausted, he's sleeping, and he's sleeping because he's trying to escape from this reality he's in. He's trying to escape from these feelings that he has. He's like, I'm just gonna sleep. I'm just gonna try and avoid all of this stuff because this, this heart of mine is being convicted because I know I'm not doing it God's way. And he's exhausted from it. As he's sleeping on this boat, he says, okay, well, at least I'm out of here. I can figure out all the things later. Talk about life, there's always a boat at Joppa. Talk about God, he's never done with his people. God is faithful to get you off that boat and back towards him, back towards obedience. That's the way of God. He says, I'm going to run after my people. That even in the midst of our unfaithfulness, even in the midst of our disobedience and going the opposite direction of God, God isn't done with us. He is faithful. And we say that's a downward spiral that the consequences of, of his decisions uh, brought upon his life, that, that Jonah brought upon his life. And in reality, who was the one that sent the storm? Who was the one that got Jonah off the boat? It's God. Look at verse 4. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break and then if you jump way to the end, chapter 1, verse 15, so they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. The Lord appointed the storm 
and the Lord appointed the great fish to swallow Jonah. Just to tell you something about God, he disciplines the ones that he loves. So when hard things are going through your life, when you're in the valley, God's there. He's with you. He is walking with you through those things. He might not be for the decisions you're making. He's probably not. But he is with you, drawing you back to himself. Uh, Verse up here, Hebrews 12. It says, you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. This quote right here is from Proverbs 3. He says, my son, do not regard lightly to the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are punished by him. Jonah needed to remember that, right? Uh, Nor faint when you are punished by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he punishes every son whom he accepts. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there in whom his father does not discipline? And I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what decisions you made. I don't know uh, what receipts that you have where you tried to take the boat to Joppa where you tried to do it a different way than God has called you to do. But what I can guarantee you is that if you're a child of God, you have a story of all the things in your life that are just falling apart, of how this didn't work out for you, of this fell through, of of these things where God was just calling you back and bringing you back and bringing you back because that's the love of the Lord. Does it feel good? No. I imagine he didn't enjoy, Jonah didn't enjoy getting tossed into a raging storm. I can imagine that the whale was not very quaint and comfortable, but it got his attention to wake him up that that's the discipline of the Lord, that's the love of the Lord. So as we go into future weeks of this, I mean, we're going <coughs> to we're gonna see how, how God is working in the life of Jonah and the example that he is to us because Jonah was an example to the people of Israel and he's an example for us today. That if we want to be spiritually mature people, if we want 2022 to be a year of growth for us where we go all in, where we're just done with all the things of our past, we're done taking that boat, we're done moving in a direction that is easier but it's not God's way. And if we want to do that, when we, then we obey We trust God and we walk in obedience no matter how difficult. No matter how difficult it may be, no matter how uncomfortable and inconvenient it might be on your life, don't get on that boat. And if you're on that boat, get off as fast as you can. You mean, you know, go into the water, get swallowed by a whale and get back on the dry ground? Yeah. Get off as fast as you can. Repentance is a thing that the Lord delights in. Repentance is a thing that the Lord delights in. And so wherever you're at tonight, man, whatever you've got going on, know that we, we're here for you. We're here to encourage you. We're here to remind you that God is good. We're here to remind you that God is faithful. We're here to remind you that God's way is better even when your heart disagrees. He's worth it. His way is worth it. Man, if you're on a boat you shouldn't have been on, if you just got spit up on dry ground and you're trying to figure out what to do next, come talk to us. That's why we're here. Every single one of us has a stupid, soggy ticket of a place we shouldn't have been, of a thing we shouldn't have done. 
And I hope and I pray that you are met with a people that show grace. Why? Because all of us have, been, have received grace. We've all gone places we shouldn't have gone. We've all done things we shouldn't have done. And I hope that, that you are extended grace and you are shown a better road, a better way and a better road to, to obedience into the place that God is calling you, wherever that may be, however hard that may be. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so thankful for your word. We are thankful that you discipline the ones that you love. That you are faithful when we are faithless. That we're prone to wander. Lord, do we feel that? Do we feel how prone we are to wander? We're prone to leave you, the God that we love, that we do the things that we shouldn't do, that we know we shouldn't do. We don't even want to do it, and yet we do it. The things that we shouldn't do, the places that we shouldn't be, the things that we shouldn't click, the things we shouldn't say, but we say them. And I'm so thankful for your grace that you offer forgiveness to us, that you have made a way for us to have life with you and peace with you forever through your son. God, that you love us, that you're for us. You're not for our sin. You're not for us jumping on that boat, going the opposite direction of where you're calling us, but you're for us and you love us. So God, I pray for my friends. I pray that this would be the time, that this would be the year where, where we go all in with you. And that we don't go from you anymore, that we don't spend our days just living this life of pleasure, of just living in of fame and excess and, and the crap of this world, that we wouldn't get caught up in that current anymore. That if we just need to jump off of a boat and, and cut people out of our lives and cut things out of our life and just stop cold wherever it is and run back to you, God, would you give us the grace to do it? We need you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Pray that you would be with us in the valley, in the sea, in the whale, wherever we are, Lord. Just a constant reminder that even in our mistakes and in our brokenness, you redeem all that you allow. In what we mean for evil and the brokenness and the stupid decisions that we make, you redeem because you are good and you are powerful. So we trust you, God, and we worship you now.